Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message. I feel so strongly from Holy Spirit to say it one more time. Take a stand. Keep standing. God's not done. I'm going to tell you over the next three or four weeks, you're going to see a dividing line. I'm going to tell you that family will rise up against family. I want to tell you that at family gatherings, you're going to be forced to make a stand for righteousness. I'm going to tell you you'll be challenged for even the church you go to. I'm going to tell you the enemy's number one greatest weapon he uses is called division. Even in the body of Christ today, we argue about is speaking in tongues for today. We, and it is. Or it's, it wouldn't be in Acts chapter 19, 20 years after the day of Pentecost. Anyway, he eagerly desired the guests, 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Anyway, all that cool stuff. There's continual dividing lines, not just in the world between righteousness and evil. Not just between nations, the sheep and goat nations. And you have to understand the sheep and goat nations. A goat will eat anything. A sheep, they know his voice. But even in the body of Christ, we're seeing a separation. They'll argue about things like, should someone preach from the Message Bible or NIV or King James or thus thou and though or New King James or the Amplified Bible, which means it's louder, or the Passion Translation. I saw it yesterday on a post that I made. Silly stuff. But I'm coming to tell you something about abundant life. This house has been anointed to walk as one body, one tree, planted by a water, and God says if you will hold together, lock arms, and not be divided by politics, not be divided by voices, not be divided by whether or not you watch MSNBC or Fox or CNN, or any, not be divided by that, but only coming together as one body. He said, I will pour out, heal your families, bless your homes, and when others are struggling, you will look around and say, why are we blessed? And God will say, because you came together, one people, one nation joining together saying we are not going to be divided by the voices outside because greater is he that is in me I've come to tell you this is a locking arm day and so with that I must preach an element of revival that is left out because every great move of God has stopped because of offense and division we were on a phone call last night with Pastor Kilpatrick who led the great Brownsville revival. He will tell you what ended that revival after five years. It was a prophetic time last night on that call as he poured into you and I. But what I want to get across to you as I move into this word, I, this is not by chance and I deeply honor Alton Garrison who is supposed to be here. Very dear to me. Poured into my life a great deal. But God knew about today. And I want to say some things that are probably going to embarrass you, which I really love to do. God puts some people in your life to torture you. But I love this family. And on this special auspicious day, my beautiful wife and I have come 
to tell this house because we travel in agreement that God is about to raise up something in here. And even as you stood your ground and said, if they'll keep Walmart open, we're going to keep the house of God open. Even as we were on phone calls and you're like, well, I think we're going to meet outside. Even as one nation, the church was shut down in three days in March. In three days, it took three days to tell the church they are no longer the church. And much of the American church rolled over and said, okay. It's exactly, follow my heart, it's exactly what Hitler did to Nazi Germany. But there was people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and people like that that stood up and said no. So I want to tell you something. This house has been established for a reason. And these leaders came 11 years ago and said, let's do this. And I looked up 11 years ago and it says, judgment amidst chaos. One who brings judgment amidst chaos. But I want to warn you, I've came to give this word today very different from what I normally preach. But you're going to say, what does this have to do with revival? It has everything to do with revival. Grab your Bibles and look at 1 Samuel 22. I must share a word simply titled the Abishai anointing. Another title might be the second man anointing. Or the man in the shadows. Just like ladies, we are all sons of God. I'm also a part of the bride of Christ. So when you see man there, it doesn't mean it's not talking about ladies as well. But what you have to understand as I move into this word, I'm going to share a word about the power of surrounding a leader. Because in the coming days, coming weeks, coming hours, you must pull together. Looking at 1 Samuel chapter 22, the Bible said David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. What is Adullam? Adullam means justice for the people. The number one spirit running rapid in America right now is injustice. No matter what side you are. Injustice always creates a rogue environment. It always creates, no matter what, people that are not thinking clearly. Because it hurts. But something happened. Now, by the way, Adullam is a cave that overlooks the Valley of Elah. What does that mean? It is a cave that overlooks where David killed Goliath, where David had his great battle, his great victory, conquering a nine foot six giant with six fingers, six toes on each finger, on each foot and hand, a, a, a lunatic, a seed of Satan, birth uh, out of demonic ways. And you have to understand that David had to make a choice. Do I look at the victory that I did by myself or do I turn around and walk into a cave with a bunch of nobodies? So every morning when David gets up, he's living in a cave. He sees his greatest victory down there but knows his greatest future's in here. You with me, right? So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those, this is an amazing church. All those who were in distress or in debt 
or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So I'm going to come back to that scripture in just a moment. But here's what I want to say to you. Every leader gets tired of leading. There's one word that describes pastoral ministry. And I, I say that with tongue in cheek because I don't believe you're a pastor. I believe you're an apostle. There's, it's the five fingers. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. I get tired of the fact that the evangelist has to be the middle finger. I'm just being honest. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but it's the highest finger. I'm being careful what I do. <laughs> I've rode through Atlanta. <laughs> it's amazing how people wave with one finger. <laughs> because it's the gathering anointing. But the apostle the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. The pastor is the ring finger. The apostle touches every aspect. The prophet points. The evangelist brings in. The pastor is married to the bride. The teacher walks beside the pastor. But you are an apostle. And there's always a structural tension in the season of becoming that because you really don't have the grace for the little stuff anymore. You don't have the grace for the dumb stuff. Somebody's kid knocked down somebody's kid in the nursery and you're like, go handle it. Because you see a kingdom mindset, you, you, you are able to recognize, and by the way, the apostle always recognizes, can see the anointing on you. So if pastors ever said to you, I see something on you, it's because of a different set of eyes. It's a shifting, it's a, but every, and there's one word that describes pastoral ministry or the ministry of the body of Christ, and that word is constant. You can be on vacation and it's still going. You can be at home and it's still going. You can be laying sick in bed and it's still going. It's constant, it never lets off. So days like today are critically important to say it's okay. Days like today are so, and thank you for honoring Joshua just a moment ago, because I am a, a, a preacher's kid, and you have to understand that it, it, it is, it's not one person in the ministry, it's not mom and dad in the ministry, it's all of us are in the ministry. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, let us figure out consider how we can push each other on and that is what I'm going to do right here today because you have to understand in Christianity we are very good at burying our wounded we are very good at covering up those that are not dead yet but as you can tell with the bones of Elisha, you don't throw dirt on somebody God's not finished with yet. And so what you have to understand is, I also know the weight of the vision. I know the pain of the vision. I know the exhaustion. I know the broken heart of some saying, someone coming up to you and saying to you, you know, the Lord just spoke to us that we're supposed to go over there. And it's like, oh, I have a prayer life too. Why would he tell you that? And when they pull the God card, it's over. And what you have to understand is, it's okay if I get very authentic today. It's different, but it's a key to revival. It's the key to revival. If you get this, oh my Lord, if it's a key to revival. Because I want to take you on a journey that, 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 uh, 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 about one of the most feared leaders in hell. The most feared leader in hell is not this family sitting right here. It's those that the enemy never saw coming. 
It's those that are standing there. They are what I call those in the shadows, the stagehands. The Lord spoke to me years ago. I will always use you as long as you're willing to be a stagehand. Open the curtain for my glory and get out of the way because God doesn't care about your ministry. He cares about his name. He's not raising up these. I'm telling you, you're going to see a lot of stumbling and tripping happening in the kingdom of God. You're going to see those that elevated themselves above the knowledge of God fall down. And, And hopefully somebody will pick them up because Ecclesiastes says, pity the man that falls down that no one will help up but what you have to realize is God is saying I'm about to use this place but there's something special when a family comes to a city and they come here and they were here already but they stepped in because God raises up the ones no one saw coming and all of a sudden the devil goes no way and he goes Yahweh because that's that moment where God goes I'm about to raise up the ones no one saw coming I'm gonna raise up the ones that don't they weren't postured or propped up or some family lineage that's who God is using right now so they come to a place like Jackson Georgia or LaGrange or they come down and and they say you know what I'm here to wage war for the rest of my life I'm not looking for the next bus to jump on I'm reminded of Lester Summerall he's one of my favorites he was a great missionary evangelist to Africa and he raised up some great leaders like Rod Parsley and others, but he, uh, uh, he had a TV network in South Bend, Indiana. And, but I'm reminded of Lester when he was preaching in Africa one day. He went to this remote village and they put him in a hut, an old brass bed in the hut that he slept on. But the witch doctor there did not like him. So the witch doctor would pray against him and pray that he would die and all these other kind of stuff and so one night Lester's sound asleep and all of a sudden his bed begins to shake well the witch doctor is right outside the hut calling down incantations the bed begins to shake and as the bed begins to shake it begins to shake and he even moves out to the middle of the room and this is one of those old heavy brass beds and Lester's laying there and he said in the name of Jesus stop and the bed stopped And he laid there for a few moments and he got to thinking about the heaviness of the bed. And he says, and in the name of Jesus, put it back. And the bed slid back to the wall. I want to be around people like that. They can say, in the name of Jesus, stop and put it back. I want to be around leaders that understand they can actually raise up in a church in an area that's known for church split, that's known for preacher killing, that's known for everybody church hopping and going. I want to be, I want to be around a man that will ignore graveside burial celebration day. That will keep preaching when the government says, stop. But what you have to understand is, uh, I feel like I, I've kind of earned the ability to speak to this today. So let me talk about the Abishai anointing. So, so write this down, number one. God designed us to do this together. You weren't designed to be rogue. That's why when COVID hit and all the other stuff hit, all of a sudden we're all in our own little houses and when you go out, put a mask on. And I get it. Stay six feet apart. There was a systematic demonic division that took place. Don't lay hands on people. Don't worship. Some states outlawed worship because you might breathe. 
But see, what you have to understand is everything God does, he designed for us to do it together. In God's word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's about relationship. A God who in the very beginning said, I, you know what, I don't want to do this alone. So he created man in his own image. And what you have to understand, everything we do, we do it with friendship. We do it with coming into agreement. And there's power in friendship. Malachi says that when two believers come together and begin to talk if they talk the things of the lord god steps into the conversation and takes notes sometimes when you're talking to somebody at work because you're living in the world and also living in the church sometimes y'all are talking a little bit of trash you don't feel god but then isn't it amazing how you're talking to somebody else and you feel something happen in the middle of that it's called koinonia and all of a sudden god steps in the middle and starts taking notes so you have to ask yourself if the people you're spending time with can god walk in the middle of that relationship or does he have to step back? Because show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And what you have to understand is what Karen and I began to do years ago. We Philippians 4, 6, we make our petitions known with thankfulness of heart. We come into the power of agreement, that Matthew 18, 19 agreement where we come in and we begin to, to pray and agree together. It's, it's, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend but themselves. But a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's, it's an understanding that Jesus was a people person. And so you have to realize Jesus knew how to build a team. He had three different levels of relationships. He had literally the outer court, the inner court in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was, and he would take these, even his secret group, his smaller group, his Holy of Holy groups, his Peter, James, and John, he would take them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He would take him them into the darkest place that he would go. But what you have to understand is he even had this close circle around him where at one point he's tired, he's exhausted, he's been preaching all day, and he says, get me a boat, Mark chapter 3. Get me a boat. The crowd is pressing in on me. But Jesus determined, I'm not going to do this alone. I can't do it alone. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And he always went after the nobodies. He would choose the ones none of us would ever choose. He, in fact, Acts chapter 4 says that some of the disciples, Peter, James, they, it says literally about them, they were ignorant. And unlearned, but they could see that they had been with Jesus. Listen, you walk up to me with your degrees, and you walk up with me, to me with your diplomas, and that's awesome, great, way, way to go, cool. That will not pay the bill off. But I want to tell you something. You walk up to me, and you may not be the smartest or the brightest, but if you've been with God, we're going to lock arms and do something big together because I don't care about your degrees. I want to be around somebody that knows him, somebody that gets out of bed and finds him. I want to be around somebody that can walk into my office and say, hey, Pat, I just got to tell you, this is what God is saying. And when you got some potato head theologian sitting over there that's so open-minded, his brains have fallen out at some point, and it's going to walk up and tell me, well, you know, that's not the real original meaning of the Greek word and or the Hebrew word. And I'm like, shut up. You ain't bringing me ramen or you're bringing me ramen noodles. And I don't get, I don't want to eat that. That's nasty. So the reason why I'm sharing that is because when you look at the life of Christ and you understand that he came from the very throne of David, when you look at the life of David, and that's where I'm going, I'm going to talk about David for just a minute, but you know, I'm, I'm reminded of even Simon Peter. Simon Peter had the worst mouth. The brother loved to cuss. Have you ever watched Deadliest Catch and the Fisherman? That's rednecks on a boat. 
Simon Peter. He wasn't this really cool, you know, put together guy. He was always messing up, always, you know, foot in mouth moment. He was always blowing it. He was always doing dumb things until he had a maturity season in his life. And that came through rejection and becoming a Benedict Arnold that he really changed because it's at your lowest point that you find God. But Simon Peter is a great example. He stuck with Jesus and Jesus stuck with him even though he had major flaws. But what you have to realize about Simon Peter, something got on him. That even after resurrection power and ascension into heaven, Simon Peter would walk because he had been in the shadow of Jesus. His shadow would heal the sick and blind. So put me next to somebody that the oil is going to rub on me a little bit. Because I am a mantle chaser. I crawled to the lap and literally laid my head in the lap of Dr. Bill Bright who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. And here is this Presbyterian man trying to get a breath in to breathe because he had a uh, cystic fibrosis. And he's getting ready to die and a tear fell off his cheek onto my cheek as I laid my head in his lap. And it was the last time I would see him and he said, you will touch the world. I chase Reinhard Bunke. I chase John Kilpatrick. But I also chase people like that because there's something there. I've hitched my wagon right there. And what you have to understand is I go a little bit deeper and you'll have to forgive me because I'm stirred in my spirit because when you look at Jesus, if oftentimes if you look back at those whose throne he occupied, which was the throne of David, we know Isaiah 22, 22 says he'll give you the keys to the house of David. Jesus would later say in Matthew 16, 19, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. We know that David was anointed in a place called Bethlehem. We know that David was overlooked. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we know the story of David that they bring out the six or the eight brothers because Samuel went to anoint and he thought it was going to be Eliab. And so Samuel holds the horn up over his head, all the brothers, and he stops at the big tall general Eliab and the oil of God, the finger was in the oil lamp and it didn't come pouring out. He couldn't figure it out. So he said, let's do it again. Maybe my horn got broke on the trip over here. The camel must have stumbled and he's doing it again. Still the finger of God is in the horn. Nothing happens. And they said, is there not another? And they said, well, there's David. But we don't want to talk about him. Because even his legitimacy is at question. Go get him. David comes running in. Everybody's standing there like, yeah, right. We don't even let him eat with us. All he does is kill things and worship. He's worthless. And so Samuel goes, all right. The oil begins to flow. And everybody steps back and goes, are you serious? Are you serious? And the Bible says, and the wind of God went into David and empowered him for the rest of his life. God always picks the ones no one saw coming. Oh, I'm going somewhere. And what you have to understand is, as I begin to get deeper into this word, every leader needs a shadow. Every leader needs someone that will walk with him. And the story of David is marvelous because David had no aspirations to rule the world. He was not a Napoleon or Alexander the Great, but he could sit and write things like Psalms 91. I shall dwell in the secret place, in the shadow of the Almighty. He could write better as one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And as I dwell in the house of the Lord, he could write things that no one else understood because he had had enough alone time that he learned the whisper of God. You're not getting this yet. I'm going there. But David cannot do it without the men that were around him. And the story of David takes an entirely different focus when you begin to look at who was actually around him. In particular, his closest advisors. I'm preaching about the Abishai anointing, so I must hurry. But what I want you to understand is David can't do it without the Abishais. What do you mean, Pat? They are key to everything. Everybody say Abishai. And what you have to realize is here's David. And I'm going back to the verse I started with, the making of a great church. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 22, David went down to a place called, left Gath and went to the place called Adullam, which means justice for the people. I read that story to you. 400 gathered with him, discontented. But what you have to know is David had a sister by the name of Zariah who had two sons. One of those sons was by the name of Abishai. So when the entire family went to join David because he's on the run from Saul, he's living in a renegade band. They're all there. They get to this cave and all of a sudden Zariah, his sister, shows up and with her is her three boys. And one of the boys' names is Abishai. They came to join themselves with Uncle David. Now they are unwanted posters. At any given moment, the marauders could come and kill them all. They're living in a cave. They're in hiding. But in this cave, God did something big. He established a kingdom in a cave. Oh, you're not getting this. Now let me describe David's church because in all honesty, this is not a church I would have accepted being pastor to because if you were to describe David's church, honestly describe the church, it was full of nobodies. It was all those, the first church of in-debt, distressed, discontented nobodies. They weren't white collar. They weren't walking in saying, I can write a check to pay off the mortgage. These guys were broke, scared, and desperate. The making of a church. And among this less than prestigious congregation is this little kid by the name of Abishai. And what's amazing about Abishai, the only time you see him in scripture, every time you see him, he is protecting the king. He's always in the shadows. In fact, most of you, I would say, have never heard of Abishai. Let me give you the five attributes of Abishai and I'll be done. Because God is about to raise up Abishai's in this place. And there are men and women in this place that God is saying, are you ready to lead a move of the spirit? Because we are running into, it was prophesied by one of the presidential candidates that we're going to be in a dark winter. I break those words. But what you have to understand is I believe America is at a crossroads and God is looking for a church that will rise up and we will look across at the enemy standing on the other side and say, you ain't going to divide us. You ain't going to come in here and try to talk this, that, or the other. This isn't about ancestral ground. It's about a king. It's about us joining together. It's about us joining forces and saying, greater is he that's in than us than he that is in the world. And what you have to realize is God says, I'm looking for a church that will rise up and say, no, 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 no distractions. It's about souls. And what you have to write down, the five attributes of the Abishai anointing is number one, the Abishai anointing is born in the tough times. 
I watched my father in over 50 years of ministry. I watched my dad. I learned about the ministry, watching my father at times when, when uh, literally we went on vacation and the church resigned from him and they sold the building. Or the time he sold his class ring to buy my sister an Easter dress. Or the time I would get up in the middle of the night and he'd be spread out on the floor praying for hours and hours and hours. Or I would go by his desk in that little church. And I saw so many miracles growing up. Times where angels came to the door. Times where we'd sit down to eat supper and we had no food on our plates. And dad would say, pray. We'd all shut our eyes. Someone would knock on the door. We didn't know who they were. They didn't know who we were. But they're crying and saying, here's my groceries. times where I'd go past my father's office in that little old church he pastored in the area right beside his desk is wore out eight ten hours a day so I saw how the anointing the month where we killed 70 rats in our house one even jumped in a light socket and my dad said look even the rats are committing suicide in this place <laughs> true story the late cause of distress, the missed ball games. The crawling to the pulpit with crippling arthritis when he was under attack until God would heal him later and he would crawl to the pulpit and the moment he would touch the pulpit, strength would come to his body and he would stand up and sing the old song, I would not be denied. When pains of death seize upon my soul until the Lord I cried, till Jesus came and saved my soul, I would not be denied. And there was hundreds of confrontations. And I'm sure there's been hundreds of confrontations in your life. Now, I'm about to make you feel awkward, but you need to know my heart on this. In fact, you need to know something about Jer Pastor Jeremiah and Pastor Lisa. Is they're not always going to do the right thing. They may that you agree with, but you have to trust. Or rather, let me say it better. They may not always do the popular thing. Right is not the right word. They may not always do it how you felt it. Exactly, they should have done it. But as he stands behind this desk, and she stands behind this sacred desk, and they stand up and preach on a Sunday morning, and they scan this fast crowd that is here today. They, they look, and they smile, and they're so honored. He said it a moment ago. As he set up my sermon, I'm so honored. I love my church. But as he scans while he's preaching, his eyes fall on certain individuals that are different. Everybody in this place is special to them, but it's different because he knows they could have left. He knows they hung in there. They know they stayed when others wouldn't stay. He, they, he knows, and that's what is the making of a great church. The Abishai anointing is birthed in the tough times, not the good times. It's birthed, it's those that hung in here and ignored the nearest, the newest fire engine in town where everybody was going for 45-minute services. It's those that hung in here and said, you know what, pastor, I know that my family doesn't think we should go there because my family's never gone to that that church but I'm gonna hang with you because I feel called to you I'm not about all that kind of stuff it's those that show up when others don't the thing about a is that God formed a nucleus of nobodies and created the future kingdom citizenry and you have to realize something these were a bunch of nobodies he brought them from the four corners and as they would show up at the cave they would sit around the fire and David had the ability to do one thing do one thing help them start dreaming again And sitting around that fire was a kid by the name of Abishai. 
And number two, here's what I want you to know about the Abishai anointing. The Abishai anointing falls on ordinary men and women who are simply committed. Just the normal people. Not the ones that come in every week with a new prophetic word. Not the ones that come in and say, if you don't let me preach, I'm going to the next place. Not the ones that have been saved three months and they think now they are God's gift to the body of Christ. And pastor says, you're not ready to preach yet. If you preach early, you drink the oil, it will poison you instead of wearing it and staying anointed. And so you have to understand. And then they end up going somewhere else and somebody that doesn't know how to do background checks lets them preach. And they fall three months later and you're like, oh, come on back. Can I preach this? The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 11, verse 20, and I'm hurrying, I got to catch a flight. It says this, look at 1 Chronicles 11, verse 20. If you have that for me, bring it up right there, Jordan. If not, I'll, I'll read it from right here. But the scripture says this. It says, Abishai, the brother of a Joab, was chief amongst the three. He raised his spear against the 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Follow me for a second. He was doubly honored above them. This is one of those scriptures you go, okay, cool. Let's read the next one because I didn't understand it. Ready? He was doubly honored above the three and became their commander even though he was not included among them. You're not getting what I'm saying, what this scripture says right here. Abishai was a fighting machine, but he wasn't as good as everybody else. He was a bench warmer. He only came in the game when somebody needed a breather. He was the middleman. He had a certain gifting for fighting, but the word is saying he was better than some, not as good as others. How many of you would describe that's you? I'm better than some, but there's others that are way more gifted, way more anointed. They, you know, that's the way I describe me. I, I don't have what it takes like other people, but there, there, you know, there's people in the room that have better giftings. There's people in the room that I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not the worst. Thank goodness. I knew that guy, but I'm not the best. Amen. I, I mean, you get what I'm saying? Because it's, it's men and women who are willing to sit around the campfire and, and, and simply say, count me in. Now, pastor, don't ask me to sing because my mama didn't lie to me. She lied to my brother. Amen. Now, pastor, don't ask me to pay off Hope Farm because I can't do that, but I will tell you what I'll do. I'll give and I'll be faithful and you'll never have to worry about checking and seeing if I'm even a giver. In fact, pastor, I I'm not going to be the most gifted person. I can't put together stuff, but I'll park cars. Um, pastor, I, 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 I don't have the gifting to stand up and excite the crowd, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll cheer with whoever does. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, pastor. Pastor, I, I'm, the pastor, I, I, I'm not the best. I'm not going to hit a home run every time I step up, but I'm going to tell you what you can count on. When the doors are open, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. If you call an important prayer meeting or you say fast, yes, sir, because I'm in the middle. I'm not the best. I'm not the worst. I'm here. And that is the citizenry woven together, making of the kingdom of God. It's not about the nobodies and the somebodies. It's about the ones who show up. And so you have to understand that's the Abishai anointing. It is not for the best or the worst. It's for me. It's for me. It's for me. It's for me. He could have invited 10,000 other preachers to be here today. So he went and got somebody kind of in the middle. Because I don't want to be the best because that's the target practice. And as long as I stay on my knees, I won't become the worst. Because I ain't got nowhere to fall. 
You ain't getting, I wish you'd help me preach for a second. Just put me up and let me help and I'll hold somebody else up and I'll be an Aaron and her if I have to because I ain't got to be the Moses because I got to make the tough decisions. Amen. I'm going to get mad and kick a rock. But what you have to realize is just let me be a part of something bigger than me because I was raised in a place where nobody was important or I was raised they didn't believe in you. I was told my whole life I'm nothing but with you and running beside you I'm still nothing but I'm a part of something and that makes me a part of something big somebody help me preach I didn't come here to give you another message I came to tell you this is the key to the next move of God in this house a locking of arms and when somebody walks in here and tries to divide you on color or on certain types of church or they try to divide you on political lines you say wait a minute that don't work in this place you go on and preach that at the pundits go do that on CNN or Fox in this place we are one body one family one arm coming together and what grows the church is a tree planted by the water with leaves call you and when I get on the plane today I will be able to say I did what you sent me to do and number three the Abishai anointing write it down is always ready to go 1 Samuel 26 verse 4 I want you to imagine this David is hiding of course from Saul the drama is coming to a head. Saul has been chasing David. You can hear the dramatic music in the background. All of a sudden, Saul is put in a supernatural slumber. His men are sound asleep. David being a redneck, always ready to fight. I guarantee you some of David's mighty men floss with a rope, amen? Bunch of country boys. When David finally made it to the palace, I bet he bowed to the servants by accident. He wasn't raised like that. He was raised in the woods. But now Saul's men are in a supernatural slumber. The Bible says this. He sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? Abishai goes, I'll go. <laughs> I'm hanging out with this dude in heaven. We're partying. Because what you have to understand, David's an adventurer. He's a man's man. He decides to go lean over a cliff and he sees the whole army asleep and he's got beside him a Himalek, the Hittite, who's a, a heathen. He's got Abishai. David looks over and goes, Won't go? Won't go? <laughs> hey, watch this. The last words of a redneck. Hey, watch this. <laughs> David said, I found him. There's three of us. Who wants to go with me? Now, Ahimelech sits silently. Because he's joined the mission, but he hasn't joined the man. Oh, that God would deliver us during the season of harvest and strategic times of war. From the Ahimelech spirit. William Brennan said, never declare peace at a time of war. I saw it happening on social media. 
God delivers from the ones who sit silently when pastor says, hey, let's build a house for some girls that need to be loved. God delivers from a spirit that says, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I hear the Lord saying, do this, and we're going to do it regardless. Even if it, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to fight a liquor store. Oh, but Ahimelech says nothing. Oh, that God delivers from the spirit of mute. Because not saying anything is the same as saying something. Or that spirit says, can we afford it? It is a long-term strategic plan. What's the spreadsheets tell us? How's tithe? Can I just tell you God has never used QuickBooks? He's never called the accountant. Vision creates finances. Lack never follows, follows revival. David says, who will go with me? That's a leader. He says, number one, I'm going. The Ahimelech says, the odds are too good, are too great against us. Look at that jet, massive army down there, the three of us. And Abishai goes, I'll go. <laughs> now, if you looked at Abishai and said to him, hey, Abishai, where are you going? I don't know. What y'all going to do down there? I don't know. I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm his shadow. Because what's on him is on me. I'm not going to miss out on this adventure while the rest of you sit around and talk about how we can't. Now look what happens in the scripture. It goes on to say, 1 Samuel 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai went down to the army by night. You notice it didn't say Ahimelech went. Now, obviously, Ahimelech could have been the scout, could have been watching out, whatever. I don't know. I, I choose to think he's a bad guy. So. so David and Abishai went down to the army at night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. And Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, today, you got, now you got, I'm not saying it right. You got to think full-on redneck noise. All of a sudden, watch this. I love this. this. is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, okay? Today, God has delivered your enemy, into, your enemy into your hands. Now, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. That's not the way he said it. That ain't the way he said it. He goes, hey. My <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> hey, <laughs> look. There's your enemy. Can, can I kill him? <laughs> He's foaming. It won't take but one time, King. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to shish kebab this joker right in front of everybody. I'm going to stick it to the ground. Are you ready? Can, let me do it. Come on, please. Oh, God. Let me kill him. That's covenant talk. Your enemy's my enemy. That's covenant talk. Well, Pat, what do you do when somebody walks up to you and says, you know, there's just some things I don't like about the pastor. Number one, you repent for whatever demonic magnetic spirit's in your life. And number two, you tell them to repent. I said something to pastor one time. I said, you know why I don't go on the foyer and shake everybody's hands? Number one, I, I just, I, I'm very, very careful about who, not that I'm better than anybody or anything like that. It's just that, that what, I've had people walk up to me to complain to me about their church or their pastor, and I don't ever want to be that. Because as an evangelist, the head flows from the, the oil flows from the head to the beard. I'm just a beard today. I'm not the head. 
But I've had people walk up to me in churches, never here. So let me just say that like that. They said, you know, Pat, I just wish you'd come every week. I, I don't really like our pastor's preaching. Oh, so you're getting my best. He's got to do it every week. I get to preach it 12 times and run. Hey, Amen. I mean, <laughs> I'm just being honest. But anybody, time anybody walks up to me, I literally had somebody walk up to me one time and they said, I want to talk to you about our pastor. We're, we, we, we would actually like to encourage you. We're about to let him go and we want you to put your resume in. True story, this happened in Indiana. And I said, can you hold on a second? They said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to go to the altar because something is in my life just invited you to say that to me. I went up to the altar. and said, oh God, what's in me? That would give an invitation. You think this is very harsh and intense. No, I'm trying to prepare you. I'm getting you ready. Because the enemy wants to divide what God is doing here. And you have to understand. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect leader. And the Bible says that God puts people around us to, to, to rebuke. And a brother does that. And, and we'll, we speak into each other's lives. And we say, you know, I think you're off on that. I've had people, people do that to me all the time. That, I, that I've allowed. They'll say, hey, you're, all, you're wrong about that. I have a very dear pastor in my life named Pastor Al Bryce that will literally call me up and say, you're allowing this to happen in your life right now. The old Pat would go, oh, no, 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 no. I go, man, you're right. <laughs> I always look for a good season to cry, amen? I'm like a walking lifetime movie. Give me a bonbon and a movie. And because the valley of weeping is where God resides. And this is it. We're all flawed. But number four, the Abishai anointing fights for righteousness. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 19, now here's David. David's being thrown out of the palace. It's been taken over by his son, Absalom. And as David is, you can almost see it. He's running for his life, and some of his mighty men are running with him. Now, life was good when they were in the palace. They had steak every night. Everything was perfect. But now he's being kicked out of his own palace because his son led a revolt. And the Bible says that while they're running, all of a sudden, bring that scripture up for me, 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. The, the Bible says that as they're running, as King David approached Baram, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there, and his name was Shimei, son of Gera. And he cursed as he came out, and he pelted David and the king's officials with stones though all the troops in the special guard were on David's right and left as he cursed Shimei, I said get out get out you man of blood you scoundrel the Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom you've come to ruin because you are a man of blood then Abishai there he is son of Zariah said to him king why should you let this dog, dead dog curse you my lord can I go let me do it right they're running David's heart's broken he's lost his kingdom he's lost his son he's lost his family all because he ended up on the balcony of boredom and he's jogging and he's got his men on his right and left and all of a sudden this lunatic family member of Saul comes out and starts cursing at him and throwing rocks at him and as they're running along You're worthless. You're a loser. I mean, there ain't nothing like kicking somebody when they're down. And as they're running along, Abishai goes, hey, king, do you care if I go cut his head off? 
Why should you let him speak to you like that, king? But see, for Abishai, it wasn't about the palace or the settings. It's about the vision. He didn't fold. And this is it. Worship him. Come help me for a second if you would. He stood when others were abandoning. Why would you preach this on pastor appreciation? Oh, I'll be straight up with you. I've traveled about two or three million miles, closer to three. Spent half my life in the Atlanta airport. I can count on one hand the men in this nation that I would drop everything. Really. Drop everything. Say, I'll drive all night. I'll be there from Dallas. Take me about 10, 12 hours. About 12 hours. Depending on which car I'm driving. If I have to, I'll run a private plane. I don't care. You need me, I'm there. I happened two weeks ago to be standing in front of you. And I could hear you praying in the spirit. And I went, thank you, God. Because when I was a PK for a season, preacher's kid, Jesus walked in my bedroom at 16. You don't want that to happen. It'll freak you out. But I see a mantle on you. Drawn to you. But I count on my hand about five people, five families that, yeah, whatever you need. I'll sign my house over to you. What do you need? Right here. It's one of those five. You shifted my life in the area of priest and king gave me permission to take the kingdom you did you gave me permission but number five the Abishai anointing will fight the giants when they when the David is weary we know that when David picked up the stones he picked up five stones and there's a reason because Goliath had four brothers eventually all of David's mighty men would kill the brothers but David is getting old at this point. He's exhausted. He's tired. You know, I still think I can do stuff. <laughs> I can still go at it with my son. Now, Nate, college football player. Now he's 28 years old. He's in extremely good shape. Athlete. I still believe I can beat him. And I will always fake it. It's a rule of being a father. But I can't run up and down the court like I used to could. Because my mind says I'm still young, but my body goes, sit down, son. (laughs) Ain't everybody Tom Brady, amen. (laughs) 
I'll, I'll never forget, I was, I was playing at a, at a youth camp, and I, man, the number one rule for preaching a youth camp, remember this, is hit the first three when you play basketball. Just hit it and walk away and go, Pff. And all the kids are like, what? And you're, when you're walking back to your cabin, you're going, thank you, God. <laughs> you covered us. <laughs> but I was playing at a youth camp one time, and, and this, we're running down the court, and and this kid says, hey, Pat, hey, Pat. And he passes the ball. We passed it too, out, too far out in front. Maybe not to someone that could get to it. But my body said, you can get to it. My, my, oh, my brain did. And I went to go for it because I was trying to be cool. And I ended up just strawberrying right there. That was on Monday afternoon. For one week, I preached with a strawberry right there. Big old my body said I could or my mind said I could my body said no way this is David look at this scripture so David is getting he's old he's getting into fighting form and the Bible says there's a battle against those evil Philistines David is old but David decides to go out and fight he gets his armor on he's getting back in fighting form he's an old man he goes out to battle to fight the last giant and the Bible says, David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he was going to kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Now follow. Here's David. He goes out there, Abishai is going, walking right beside him. He's like, oh, my God, here we go again. King, what are you doing? So they're fighting. And David says, I want you. He goes and picks out the biggest giant. And David starts fighting him. And as he's fighting him, the giant is winning. And Abishai is standing. And as he sees David stumble, and the giant's about to kill the king, he kills his guy, spins around, and kills the giant. The giant falls over on David. Can you see this picture? David's laying there, pulls off his armor, gray hair, and he goes, why'd you do that? I had him where I wanted him. Can you see Abishai going, I know. He reaches down to help David up. He does this. He goes, come here. He says, come on up, King. I just want you to know something. You ain't never doing that again. And David says, oh, no, sir. Because we can't let the light of Israel go out. Stand with me. Pat, what does this have to do with Jesus? Everything. Because if you look at Jesus and everything, you'll look at the cross. If you look at the cross, you'll see him looking down at John, who's saying to him, take care of mama. If you look at Jesus and his relationships, even after the cross, he went and hunted each one down and said, hey, I'll meet you in this room up here. It's all about relationship. It's all about kingdom. I believe in this house. 
And while this was not on my schedule two weeks ago, it was on God's. Because I have to do three things. Number one, Jesus is usually birthed in the tough places of our life. Number two, Jesus was what the world considered ordinary. Number three, Jesus is always ready to go with you. Number four, Jesus fights for righteousness in your life. Number five, Jesus won't let the light go out. Because he's the light of the world. But before I can do, we're going to have a little healing moment that's very different, but it's going to birth revival. Supposed to be in Connecticut where revival broke out, but then he came to Georgia. It's crazy. So here's what I want you to do. Every eye shut across this house. The greatest pastor appreciation day that could ever happen is if someone's birthed into the kingdom. But if he can forgive me, then he can forgive you. And there are people in this room that are, you just had an awakening to truly what church is about. It's not about great singing. It's not about great services, great shouting. It's not about great fun events and food on the ground. That's all wonderful. That's elements. It's about us locking arms and sitting around the fire and say, count me in. We need you to join the fire. We need you to come around the fire and be a part of what we're doing here. So with every eye shut across this place, I have to do this or else I'll be held in contempt in my office. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And what you have to understand is he's close to brokenhearted. Whoever calls on his name shall be saved. So if you declare him as the Christ because Jesus is the David, then today God says, I will bring you around the fire and I'll begin to heal you on the inside. And with every eye shut across this place, you say, Pat, I have wandered far from God. I need Jesus Christ to change me and forgive me. I need Jesus to heal me on the inside. If that is you, if you need God to transform you from the inside out and restore you, no matter what kind of failure you are and mistakes you've made, the conviction of God is hitting this room right now. And if that is you, raise your hand. Hands are going up. Thank you. I see hands all over this house. The Lord told me people would come to him today. Those that he wanted to bring back into the kingdom, if that is you, walk towards the front now. Even if you've been up here a thousand times, walk up here. Do you ignore any voices in the back of your head, the side of your head, or around you? And listen for the voice of God saying, welcome home. In fact, altar team, would you join us? Come on. The Lord told me there would be people that would come to him. Come on, you raise your hand. Come on up. Even if you have an orange shirt on, but you've been wandering, come on up. You put a shirt on because somebody said put a shirt on. This is level one. What God wants to do. All over the house, raise one hand and say, I will. Raise the other hand and say, surrender. With your hands raised, say, God, forgive me. Change me. Restore me. You are the Christ. I give my life to you. Come on, say it bolder than that. You're talking to Jesus. I give my life to you. I sell out to you. Bring me into the family. Bring me around the fire. It doesn't matter what I did outside the cave. I'm in the cave with you now. Jesus, purify my heart. Here's what I want you to do. Put your hands down for a second. Those that are ministering, keep ministering. It's different, I know. Pat, you're usually like, everybody come running, everybody come crying out. I get it. Not today, different. But here's a big one. Look at me. I'm from the South. 
I'm from two and a half hours. I'm from the I-20 corridor. Karen's family is from McRae. I know the spirit of the area. And there are some of you that are in here because you came into this church to sit on the back row because you were done. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. And you're done. And you're so afraid to get involved again because I'm just going to get burned again. Remember when Saul got shipwrecked off the island of shipwreck, floated in the water for three days. What happens? He goes to pick up sticks. He got bit. That's right. By a, by a serpent he survived the shipwreck but then he got bit while serving and he had a choice shake it back into the fire from where it came from or die yes, sir. Wow. the bite always comes after the shipwreck and it always comes when you're just quietly serving and you have a choice at that moment to shake it off and a whole item will be saved so here's what the Lord is saying. I've got your eyes open. He sent me to share this with you. Today is the day we let go of the churches that hurt us and the people that hurt us growing up. Because you cannot bring yesterday's pain to today's promise. And we do not want you to walk in because hurting people hurt people. And while you got the word of God in one hand and a tithe envelope in your Bible, you got a sword in the other and you're ready to kill somebody. And we need you to just go, it's all right. Let me just go ahead and put it clear, clearly to you. Every person in this room is a screw-up. We are a duelum. We've all been broke. We've all been discontented. We've all been offended. But we decided to join ourselves to a vision. And God wants to do some healing in this room right now. Right now, if you say, Pat, I've been hurt in the church or growing up in religion. And I've been hurt. And I need God to heal my heart. Maybe it happened with somebody in authority. Maybe it happened in a church or you saw something growing up. Or maybe religion was used as a weapon against you to beat you against the head. I know what that's like. But if you say, I want God to heal my heart so I can become a part of the vision, raise your hand now. Raise it high. If you've been hurt, raise your hand high. Raise both hands. It'll help me see you. Well, there you go, Adulam. They're all over. With your hand raised, shut your eyes. No music for just a second, if you don't mind. Both hands raised. In fact, I'm talking to you on stage, too, if you've been hurt, raise your hands. Because some of you have made promises in other places. With your hands raised, every eye shut. Say, God. Help me. Trust again. I forgive those who harm me mistreated me, spoke about me, said things to me, used me. I forgive those that left me. Start me over. Help me become a part of the cave of fire. We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.